Order! Order! <laughs> In the 21st century, global news is bigger, faster, more complicated, and frankly a whole lot scarier than ever. It's hard to know which stories to pay attention to, or how to make sense of it all. Don't worry too much though, because we got you covered. We're International Relations PhDs, and we're here to deliver a lighthearted dose of context and analysis to your podcast app, week after week. We're decoding global politics, so you don't have to. We are... The Elucidators. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Elucidators. As always, I am your host, Steve Powley. Also, as always, with me is my co-host, Sumi Chatterjee. How you doing, Sums? I nearly died today, Steve. What happened to you? Uh, no joke. Uh, my building, my apartment building caught on fire. You're shitting me. No, I, I swear Dude, to God. Dude, what happened? So basically what went down is I was getting ready to go to my office and uh, I came out and had a load of clothes drying in the dryer. And I was like, oh God, it's that worst case scenario where everyone's like, lint fire, lint fire. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh my goodness. But the smoke didn't appear to be coming from the dryer. I opened the door and there's thick smoke all through my hallway and oh, I no. quickly get quickly get my stuff together, bounce outside, and there's two fire trucks out there. And oh, uh, no. the, the the very nice older lady down the hall from me took a nap while making some soup, and uh, that thing boiled to a burn. And uh, now there were two big fire trucks outside. Wow. Okay. So I I, I thought it was going to be a lint fire, and I was going to commiserate because uh, recently I had my dryer vents cleaned out, and they found a bird's nest in there. What for real? Yeah, just the birdies up in up in the dryer oh, damn. Uh, hole. But uh, yeah, yeah, soup. I mean, burned out soup. That's yeah, that can light you on fire too. So I should have said she nearly died because apparently the firefighters were talking about. They're like, yeah, they really needed to open that window right then. It wasn't going to go for too much longer before she uh, she choked. Anyway, wow. Yeah, glad that didn't happen. Hey, so let's go from one actual fire to a metaphorical fire. Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> dumpster fire over in the UK, right? So we're actually recording on Monday, December 9th this week. We're doing a little bit early uh, recording. And by the time we post, the UK, the United Kingdom, will be in the middle of a general election. That's right. A general election between two big parties over there, uh, one of which could win an outright majority. The two parties being the Conservative Party or the Tories under Boris Johnson or the Labor Party under Jeremy Corbyn. And in the fourth episode of The Elucidators, which I guess was several months ago, we talked a little bit about Boris Johnson. Actually, we talked a lot about Boris Johnson and Brexit uh, and whether or not he could pull it off. He came to office promising to deliver Brexit by the end of, uh, well, really Halloween. Yeah. Didn't quite happen. Let's do a previously on Brexit and I guess Boris Johnson and uh, British electoral democracy. Let's do it. Previously, 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 All right, Sumi, do you want to give us some facts on Boris Johnson, the conservatives, and Brexit? Yeah. So the United Kingdom has been living through a political disaster since basically 2016. So we're coming up on four years. 
the short version of this is in the early summer of 2016, under some specious grounds and a lot of uh, cultural dog whistling, a surprise vote happened. Sorry, the vote wasn't a surprise, but the outcome was in which the United Kingdom voted to Brexit, to leave the European Union. That's right. In a referendum, a popular referendum, Brexit won 52 to 48. So pretty darn close margin, right? Yep. What what happened after that? Well, let me summarize the last three and a half years this way. A lot of meetings between the previous prime minister, Theresa May, and now the current prime minister, Boris Johnson, with various members of the EU to try and negotiate uh, versions, uh, the terms of a Brexit. Pretty much every one of these gets shot down, and the UK has to keep asking the EU for extensions on when they're actually going to leave the EU. Right. Over and over and over again. I think we're into our fourth extension. You're braver than I am because I stopped counting. It was so ridiculous and continues to be. This has been sort of a long, dragged out zombie process that has basically got everybody sick of it on both sides of the English Channel, both the Europeans and the British. And the bottom line was that when we last talked about Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party several months ago, we said he was leaving, leading a minority government in parliament. Um, basically, he had to resort to minority party support in order to cobble together a working majority in parliament. But he was not able to pass any of his uh, Brexit motions. He wasn't able to get the deal done before his sort of self-imposed Halloween deadline. So he called for a general election. He said, basically, this parliament is standing in the will, in the way of the will of the people. It is standing in the way of Brexit, which the people have voted for 52 to 48 in this referendum. So I need a general election to get rid of this par- parliament and return a strong conservative majority so that I can do my Brexit deal, get it through parliament and exit the European Union like the UK actually wants to. Yeah, I mean, this is where we're at. We are at this bizarre point in which a socialist running in Jeremy Corbyn as the head of the left-wing Labour Party is wildly unpopular, is going up a only slightly more but still wildly unpopular prime minister of the right-wing Conservative Party in Boris Johnson. And there's two smaller parties that also have something to say about this. One is the centrist party, the Lib Dems, headed by Joe Swinson, who's, uh, she's in her late 30s, right, Steve? Yeah, she's basically our age. Yeah, she's young. How dare you? I'm 24 forever. We're young. We're young. Shh. That's right. Well, we're so young, we don't have to say it or ever talk about age ever again. So uh, my hair's still there. Um, I, I, Jim. Anyway, Joe jo Swinson is, uh, she has what's appeared to be a, a very reasonable platform, which is more or less, we're going to stay in Brexit. We're going to tackle a lot of our- uh, We're going to stay in the EU, Yeah, right? sorry. Yeah, we're going to stay in the EU and we're going to tackle some of our, our domestic political problems in very reasonable ways. She, of course, in this bizarre place that is the United Kingdom, is not popular at all and neither is the Lib Dems. And the final party is the Brexit party, Nigel Farage. Yeah. uh, What a guy. Um, (laughs) What a guy. I mean, I know that there are lots of Nigel Farages throughout history. You just, anyway, nonetheless, he is, um, he's kind of cut from a similar cloth as uh, many Republicans in this country in that 
he made himself big as a media person in in media politics and then ended up in actual politics. That's right. He has a business background and uh, has basically spearheaded, cheerled for uh, getting Britain out of the EU for quite some time, right? And he said, I will return to politics only if Boris Johnson is unable to hit that deadline. Yeah. That uh, basically the Halloween deadline. And here he is with the Brexit party. The thing is, though, uh, the Brexit party has mostly stood down and lent its support to the conservatives because Boris Johnson has promised what amounts to a hard Brexit deal, meaning exiting the European Union, come what may, even if the deal is not everything we had hoped it would be. Right. It's this weird thing. So in American politics, there's this idea of the Overton window, which is basically uh, an idea starts at the fringes of the political of the political discussion and moves its way into the middle or into the acceptable realm of policies. And this is what's happened with Brexit and the Conservative Party. There were lots of conservatives that were against Brexit. They were Remainers. And as somewhat as a result of Nigel Farage, credit where credit's due, uh, the Overton window has expanded for conservatives such that Brexit is now mainstream in the conservative party. That's right. And in fact, one of the things we talked about back in that Bojo episode, the Brexit episode, was Boris Johnson actually expelling a number of staunch conservative party members from the party for refusing to back his Brexit play. That's correct. Because it actually split his own party. So he kicked his own people, his own members of parliament out of the Tory party and basically ended their political careers by doing this. They're still in parliament, but they they kind of have no home and they're probably going to get voted out in this next election. That's part of the whole point of doing this. So he restored the whip to 10 of them, 10 of the 21, but still... Okay, man, like, yeah, your point is your the, the big point that you're making is 100% the one that everyone should take away, which is, it's not like this guy is running the conservative party, all all running in the same direction all at once. Like, this is not great party leadership. When 21 members are, are kicked out or bounce on you, then you can bring back 10. And you're running a minority government, you should be trying to expand your your base as much as possible. Yeah, I don't know. Was Genghis Khan a great party leader? (laughs) I mean, Genghis Khan. Okay. All right. And on Genghis Khan, why don't we take a quick commercial break? And Steve, when we come back, let's talk about what all this means. And we can sort out this gigantic, slow moving dumpster fire mess. Sound good? Sounds good. Hello, valued listeners. If you like what you're hearing on The Elucidators, please do us a solid and tell everyone you know about the podcast. If you really love us, please also feel free to rate us five stars on your podcast store, be it iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever, and write us a glowing review, because we rely on your positive feedback and word of mouth to grow and improve. And if you have comments or questions, you can email us at allonewordtheelucidators at gmail.com or tweet us at the underscore elucidators. We may even answer your question on the show. All right, Steve, you were talking about Genghis Khan. So naturally, let's talk about an elderly British socialist who wants to become prime minister. Tell us about Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, you know, I think the best way for Americans to think about Jeremy Corbyn is that he's basically Bernie Sanders. Okay. So he is a longtime sort of labor leader and personality, comes out of the trade unions uh, in the UK. 
and he's far left. He his program is basically Bernie Sanders on like high grade British steroids, I guess. I don't know <laughs> what kind of steroids the British people synthesize over there. But yeah, no, he is all about basically nationalizing major industries in the UK. So like the post office, uh, which had been privatized and uh, also broadband internet access. Time out. Before we get to broadband, which is super important, I think it's natural. People still care about the post office. Isn't that going away everywhere where there's internet? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you're not wrong to say that. But uh, old people tend to uh, really appreciate postal services and, you know, prompt mailings for uh, birthday cards, grandkids, you know. So it's it's actually a big bone of contention, including here in the United States, where uh, President Trump has actually ranted about the post office. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of a, a big uh, a bet noir for him. That means black horse in French. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, Corbyn is all about nationalizing industries. He's all about taxing top earners, hardcore, right? So he has that sort of populist streak, you know, get rid of the fat cats and the billionaires, or at least have them pay their fair share. And we've seen in the Democratic Party here in the United States, uh, those policies have picked up a lot of steam, not without good reason, I might add. And then finally- You were going to say, sorry, you were going to say something about broadband before I outraged about the um, the post office. Go ahead. Yeah, no, he wants to nationalize broadband provision in, in the UK, uh, which could be both good or bad. I mean, if it expands broadband access, that's great, but it could also destroy service. You know, not every nationalized industry performs better than privatized industries, to put it mildly. We, we have no idea. But uh, this is just part of his program. It's a big government program, right? Uh, he wants to also sink more money into the NHS, the National Health, National Health Service, which uh, the British have universal health care. And uh, the National Health Service has been very popular there for basically forever. But recently, wait times there have been increasing a lot. And service has been declining. So this is actually a fairly popular position as well. It's like we need more money into healthcare. It's another thing you hear in the United States with things like Medicare for all, right? So that's Corbyn. So you're telling me he's a socialist who wants to expand the role of the state in ways that the United Kingdom hasn't seen in quite some time. Yeah, roughly since the 1970s. So economically, the UK would go back to the 1970s, where it was perhaps less unequal, but also like a just a terrible economic performer. But then Steve, how does that jive with uh, his stance on Brexit? So his stance on Brexit is kind of loosey goosey. He has not he had not come out pro or con for quite some time until finally he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to negotiate a deal with the EU and make it a soft Brexit, right? Meaning basically the the UK would attempt to stay in a customs union with the European Union. Um, so it would be not a European Union member, but a very closely associated state and retain access to the uh, European market like a Norway or a Switzerland, a, cu- a country like that. And then once that deal was actually negotiated, he would put that deal specifically with with all the details to another national referendum so that people could vote on it. And that actually seems like a pretty good way of going about things in that people will know what they're voting on. And they really didn't. The first time they voted in 2016, it was just a binary choice. Yeah. So what you're saying is back in 2016, there was a choice, leave or stay. Now it's a que- what Corbyn is proposing is that, hey, let me negotiate terms of this divorce, and then let's hold a straight up, 
here, we can either leave on these terms or we can stay as we did prior to 2016. That's right. So Brexit, it, you know, to forgive an overtaxed metaphor, is a gigantic forest, right? And in 2016, people voted on a forest. Yay or nay? Do we want a forest or not? Right? And they voted nay by a little bit. Um, and we can debate the merits of you know that decision and whether or not people were actually informed in terms of what it would mean economically. But uh, when it comes to actually executing the agreement, the forest is made out of millions or even billions of trees. There's tons of details in terms of all of the laws, all of the uh, markets, um, all of the regulations, uh, just basically thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages of extremely boring documents uh, that need to be gone through uh, su- such that you can negotiate a deal for trade after Brexit is done. And Corbyn is proposing, let's do this up front and then vote on that once everybody actually knows what they're voting on. Johnson actually has it what I would call bass backwards, right? He's saying, let's get the no done. Let's get let's exit the European Union and then go to the European Union and negotiate the deal. The problem is once you're out of the European Union, you don't have any leverage. And the European Union is not going to be incentivized to give the UK a good deal <laughs> after the UK has just stuck it to the European Union for four years and basically played this ridiculous game with extensions and, you know, made a fool of themselves because the European Union does not want to incentivize other countries living the EU. They're going to punish the UK with a worse deal. Uh, yeah. So we're now getting into, into a lot of the stuff that has been driving political analysts as well as just citizens in the United Kingdom bonkers from 2016 through the present. And it basically comes down to one simple dynamic. Brexit is whatever it's going to be, but every projection that that says, here's what Brexit might look like, says that life is going to get a lot harder and more difficult for regular citizens, whether they're talking about fishing waters, the regular uh, passage between borders, like in Ireland, all of these things are going to become much, much more difficult. I mean, I remember, do you remember that nonsense about there's a whole licensing problem with pets? There's lots of EU pets in the UK that will have to get relicensed or leave? Oh my God. Yeah, man. Yo, we live in LA. People are ridiculous about their dogs. I've seen dogs in a library. (laughs) And And not service animals. These were not like... These, these dogs are just dogs. People need to calm down with it. Now, extrapolate that out to your dog might get deported. Yeah, right. <laughs> like actually kicked out of the country with prejudice. Not, please, sir, ma'am, please take your poodle the F out of this library, but straight up like, yo, dogs got to bounce and you might also have to bounce. Right. That's, that's part of the point of this, right, is um, I think that Boris Johnson and the new populist, um, I guess, nativist Tories um, are – making a play to people's emotional sensibilities. And, uh, you know, the subtext is Britain is once again going to be for the British people, right? We're going to get rid of all these Eastern Europeans and so on from like the rest of the expanded European Union. We've had open borders, so they've come in droves to the UK and are taking all of our jobs, yada, yada, yada. You know, this is a very common and very effective populist playbook. Uh, we have it here in the United States as well uh, with President Trump and the the new and improved Republican Party, which is populist. It makes uh, sort of emotional appeals 
to solve very complex problems with supposedly simple solutions. And this has been uh, Boris Johnson's sort of um, rallying cry. It's the experts are wrong. We're going to be fine after Brexit. It's going to unleash a torrent or a tornado of investment. And London is going to turn into, quote unquote, Singapore on Thames, right? The Thames being uh, one of the main rivers uh, that goes through London. And Singapore is sort of like this national hub for investment in finance and has grown really well and turned into one of the world's richest countries. And the idea is once we're out of the European Union, which is an albatross around our neck, well, uh, the natural resourcefulness of the UK will be unleashed and we're just going to take off and turn into a superpower again. Um, By all accounts, from all experts, economists, people who actually know what they're talking about, this is utter and complete bullshit. What's actually going to happen is a tornado or a torrent of poverty in that everybody in the UK is going to get poorer in the next 10 years. Some estimates are are 8 to 10% poorer, which is really bad. And on top of that, it seems like uh, the UK is going to lose access to those all-important European markets because, again, the Europeans are not going to be incentivized to give them a good deal. So uh, people are kind of trapped in between these two polls. One is the Brexit poll. So they may like Boris Johnson's conservative economic policies better than Corbyn, uh, Corbyn's socialist policies, uh, which will also impoverish Britain or stand a good chance of doing so. But they don't want to vote for Johnson's uh, hard Brexit position. Um, Both of these leaders are going to do major damage to the UK, it seems like. And the the third alternative should be liberal Dems. But uh, Joe Swenson just hasn't done a very good job of expanding her her power base in, in the center, from what I can tell. Okay, so years ago, I taught in this summer program in uh, in the UK, and I met with some members of the Lib Dem party, mostly staffers, and they said, this would have been almost 10 years ago, and one of the things they said is that they have policies that make sense, and they're forward-looking, and they're what you would want. However, there is just a matter of party entrenchment in the UK, and so folks tend to vote Labour or Tory labor or conservative. And so it's also just an uphill battle during this time. If you are the Lib Dems and you want to be pro-EU, pro-international, it's hard when you're bumping up against that sort of uh, nativist populist argument that you're talking about. And not only that, structurally, the UK is sort of structurally predisposed towards a two-party system, just like the United States. So in order for the Lib Dems to rise, they have to actually take out either the Tories or the Labour Party and replace them as that second party. And that's just really hard to do. Yeah. Long story short, the Lib Dems have to grow one way or another or yet another. And it, it has to happen. And it's not happening now. But where we're at is probably a good time to pause and then head into a fully formed next time on. What do you say, Steve? Sounds good. So let's just start with this. There's a question of Brexit and Remain. And Jeremy Corbyn has suggested that he would very much like, if he were to become prime minister, to then offer another referendum, yet another opportunity for member for citizens of the UK to vote on Brexit. Is this referendum even, can you do that? Isn't that kind of going against the democracy to do this again? It's a really good question. And 
reasonable people can come down on any side of this debate in that, first of all, whether or not it's legal, yes, it's legal. If parliament decides to do something and the prime minister approves, then it is legal by definition. So that's what happened with the first referendum. Whether or not the referendum is binding or not um, is open entirely to interpretation. It should be noted that the UK does not have a written constitution. So they kind of rely on precedent and tradition to decide whether or not something should be done. And frankly, part of the problem is that we're kind of in uncharted uncharted territory here. It's been a really long time since British politics has been subject to such a fundamental divide, divide as a Brexit. So yeah, if, if parliament says that it's legal, then it's legal. And, but the only way that's probably going to happen is if Labour wins an absolute majority. And right now, uh, the polls indicate that Boris Johnson's conservatives are most likely to win that majority. I think this is a good time for the next time on to talk about where the polls are currently. Uh, so, so right now, I'm going off of a Guardian poll for today, Monday, December 19th, that shows that the Lib Dems are and Joe Swenson are at 13%. Right. The, the Labor Party and Jeremy Corbyn are at 33%. And the conservatives with Boris Johnson, Bojo, are at 43%. Right. So they're in the poll position. And from what I've seen on the betting markets, it seems like a 70% chance that Johnson's gamble is actually going to pay off and he is going to win an absolute majority in parliament and get that Brexit deal done and be out of the European Union by the end of January. Here's the thing, though. If Labour and the Lib Dems were actually able to coordinate and cooperate, and for instance, Joe Swinson told all of her voters to vote for Jeremy Corbyn in the election, then it might be possible for that coalition to win an absolute majority in parliament. And or what would actually happen is basically the, the laborites would win with a minority government, and then they would join up with the Lib Dems to form a coalition government. Which may still happen. What's that? It could still happen. It could still happen. Yeah, it could still happen even without that level of coordination, right? But uh, it seems like the anti-Brexit coalition has not been so much a coalition as it has been a big mess with a bunch of infighting. So Swinson and Corbyn don't see eye to eye on practically anything else other than not exiting the European Union. Swinson has said that she will just cancel the results of the first referendum without another chance to vote, which might be even less democratic than having <laughs> another referendum, right? So, and on top of that, Swinson is, uh, you know, she's center left. Uh, she is very far from Corbyn's sort of tax and spend socialization uh, and nationalization uh, politics. So, they are not natural allies and they have not behaved like natural allies. So it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to coordinate fast enough to stop Boris Johnson. All of that said, polls are wrong quite frequently. They were actually wrong in 2016 when people thought that Brexit would not win the referendum and it ended up pulling out a narrow victory. So it's like, we don't actually know what's going to happen and a lot can change in the next three days. Yeah. So there's basically five immediate like short-term outcomes that could happen. One is that there's going to be a withdrawal agreement bill uh, in which the UK would would Brexit would leave January 31st of 2020. The second is under Corbyn, there would be an extension of Article 50, which would allow them to negotiate uh, terms of a Brexit. 
There would be a third option is reopening of those negotiations. A fourth is that referendum. And the fifth is Article 50 being revoked. That's the Joe Swinson, uh, Joe Swinson answer. Right. Just canceling that that uh, referendum, pretending like it never happened and kind of business as usual. But by far the most likely of these is Boris Johnson wins the absolute majority and takes the UK out of the European Union at the end of January from everything we know right now. Okay, so that's Brexit in the short. Like that's the foreseeable term that we can talk about. Right. Let's talk. Let's talk real quickly about uh, UK politics, as we talked about in our last episode. And I guess it's it's always a time to do the quick refresher. Remember that these House of Commons elections are for 650 seats. There's going to be folks voted in from England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So uh, that is the United Kingdom, right? (laughs) That is the United Kingdom. Yeah, it's okay. Quick aside. It's ridiculous. So Ireland, the Ireland of Ireland, plus the Ireland of Scotland, Wales and England is the British Isles. Now, Northern Ireland plus Scotland, Wales and England is the UK. Yes. And Great Britain is just Wales, Scotland and England. Correct. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different entities kind of overlaying the same geographies here. And I think the point you're going to make is that if Brexit goes down, guess what? The people in Northern Ireland are not interested <laughs> in Brexit by and large. And the people in Scotland are definitely not interested in exiting the European Union. So both of those territories could basically exit the United Kingdom and we'd end up with England and Wales instead of the United Kingdom, right? Right. This is another one of those tough things. We talked about this in the previous episode, but it's worth uh, readdressing. The As is commonly known, the history between the English and the Irish and then the Northern Irish was quite wrought. And yeah. in a triumph of diplomacy, the Good Friday Accords with established the Northern Irish state and brought peace back to the island of Ireland in two states, the Northern, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, was in fact this great triumph. However, part of that meant that there would be seamless borders between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Well, one of those countries is would remain in the EU and the other one would be Northern Ireland. Yep. This has <laughs> all the makings of reigniting Civil old, War. Old, yeah, absolutely. So that's the Irish problem. The Scottish problem, a few years back, there was a referendum for Scotland to vote to leave the United Kingdom. And obviously, they're still in the United Kingdom. So, okay, the referendum didn't pass. But part of the reason for staying in the UK for Scots was to say, well, we're in the EU. We do much of our business with the EU. Let's stay there. Now, the Scots and the biggest Scottish party represented in Parliament says that if there is going to be a hard Brexit, they want to revisit that referendum with a reasonable likelihood of Scotland leaving the UK. Yeah, you're totally right. And and so you, know, you want to hear a joke? Hmm? You want to hear a joke? Yeah. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. An Englishman, a Northern Irishman, and a Scotsman walk into a bar. But the Englishman wanted to leave, so so did the Northern Irishman and the Scotsman. <laughs> I like you. You're funny. Yeah, you know what? When you're standing in front of a lecture hall full of undergrads, that shit kills. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's somewhat less funny or it will be less funny Yeah, in, in the next, uh, let's call it decade in uh, England uh, should Boris Johnson pull off the the uh, 
the hard Brexit that he's been looking for and win this election and take the uh, UK out of the European Union because there's a good chance that he'll win in this very narrow sense uh, in getting Brexit done, but he will lose in the sense of everybody in the UK will be a lot poorer and the UK itself may self-destruct within the next decade or so. Shall we leave it there for this week? I mean, we will leave it here, but I have a very strong suspicion that we will be back here and perhaps even more agitated about what appears to be an entirely unnecessary political debacle. That's right. Uh, National suicide, something like that. Awesome. All right. That'll do it for this week. Thanks a lot, Zooms. All right. Talk later, Steve.